Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. On this episode, I have as my guests Lane Epps and Corey Folsom O'Keefe. They are two women who have had a friendship over the years, a couple of decades or more, uh, that has largely, or at least in large part, uh, revolved around love for birds and birding. I have relationships like that too. Ken Brown, my best birding buddy, and I uh, have over the years sometimes gone weeks or months with hardly touching bases. I think men are worse about that than women, not to be sexist, but I think that sometimes is the case. But we always seem to get back together, and it often has something to do about birding. We've gone on trips together. We've gone locally together. We just get together with our spouses to go birding sometimes. I have done lots of different things, uh, all related to birding, or at least in large part. But the two guests that I have on today, uh, Corey and Lane, uh, have had a relationship over the years that has a really interesting theme. I think you'll enjoy listening to their story and how relationships in birding are also important for birders, those of us who are avid birders. The birds themselves are super important. We make lists. We try to find rare birds. We're looking for birds we've never seen before. We're looking for the first time we see a bird this year or the first time this season, first time in this location, all sorts of things that are centered on the birds. But it also is about relationships. Uh, Birders get together. We have our ABC Birding Club. There are over 100 people in our club now that get together uh, intermittently. Some people come to every meeting every month. Some people come occasionally. Uh, some people go on field trips and don't come to many of the meetings. But it's a social thing. There's relationships related to birding uh, that are also important. I think no matter what your hobby or your passion is, uh, a, a part of that passion are the people that share that passion with you. And it was really fun today on the Bird Bander podcast to talk with Lane and Corey and hear how birding has been the cement that's tied their relationship together over a long period of time and how much fun they've had uh, sharing that shared passion for birds and birding with each other on trips and through letter writing and through visits to each other's uh, homes. They don't live in the same area. So it's a really cool story to hear. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, so help me welcome to the Bird Banner podcast today, Lane Epps and Corey Folsom. Corey, Lane, welcome to the Bird Banner podcast. Thanks for being on with me today. Thank you. We're excited to be here. I'm excited too. Uh, I've had a couple of other episodes where I have birding friends beyond, and it usually turns out great. The chemistry is usually good, and I'm pretty excited. I think this should be fun. You guys heard about me uh, by listening to one of my podcasts. Tell me how that worked out. Um, well, I'm actually the one who found you. Um, okay. And I, I thought back, and I had to think once we connected and realized that, um, so Corey and I were planning a trip to the Rio Grande Valley, and we'd never been there before. And I was poking around on eBird couple weeks before our trip. And I think I clicked into one of your eBird checklists and I got to poking around and I saw your profile. And then I think I found the link to the podcast in your profile. And then, um, I looked it up on my phone and you had your, your most recent episode was about the Rio Grande Valley. And I thought, Oh, well, this is perfect. So I sent it to Corey and then I, I think we both listened to it. I, I think I listened to it twice, actually. <laughs> I did, too. I listened to it the second time on the plane on the way to Harlingen, and I took notes on it, and then Corey and I used those notes um, to, to basically to plan our trip. Very cool. Very cool. A, a, an, an unexpected benefit of doing that episode. Very nice. 
Yeah, we are grateful for for that. And um, that's how we connected. I emailed you to thank you and let you know how helpful that was because I just kind of kind of got busy at work and I didn't really have a lot of time to do planning before this trip. And I think probably the same for Corey. Well, the Rio Grande Valley is a place you don't need to do a lot of planning. It is such an easy place to bird. I thought it was just, I love that place. Yeah, I, I agree. It was just, I mean, for, for me up in Connecticut, and I, I think the same for you too, to sort of escape the cold weather and go somewhere warm and, uh, you know, just have an opportunity to see, um, you know, species I've either never seen in my life or species that I've seen like maybe once before in my life um, and get, a, get to see whole flocks of them. Um, for sure. It was awesome. Yeah, it is spectacular. I'd been to the Lower Rio Grande Valley uh, twice before, once at, to the to the big uh, festival, uh, the, the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival, and once in the spring, but never uh, like this. I went down for a month since I just hung out there. It was really fun. Yeah. So tell me about your uh, Rio Grande Valley trip. Uh, uh, Corey, why don't you tell me how that went? Well, we, we had, I think we had just four full days there, but um, we took advantage of every moment of it. Pretty much as, as soon as we got out of the hotel in the morning, we were birding at basically until sunset. And, um, you know, we, uh, you know, hit a lot of great places like Estero, Llano, Grande, um, Frontera Audubon, Santa Anta National Wildlife Refuge, Benson Rio Grande, uh, Quinta Mazalan, Edinburgh Scenic Wetlands. I, I think we actually might have even been in the same places you were at the same on the same day. Um, oh my! Listening to your uh, podcast on the recap of your your whole trip, I I, I think we both um, got uh, denied Edinburgh Scenic Wetlands on a Sunday. And oh my I, goodness! I think yes, we were there at the same the same day, but just maybe different hours. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. That was my big my big goof up in the trip I led. Uh, part of part of my trip was uh, a. A group of 10 local birders came down. And I showed them around for a few days. And uh, uh, I love that Edinburgh area. It's such a cool place, that scenic wetlands. And I was so excited. We show up and it was locked. I was like, oh, bad planning. That how can such a great place be closed on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah. Well, we had the exact same experience. We tried to go on a Sunday and I don't know, just didn't think about it. And um, But we found a really great place nearby, uh, um, I mean, that was the great thing about the Rio Grande Valley. Like if one place is closed, there was another place five minutes away. Exactly. Um, where did, where but did you use Oh, uh, like McAllen Nature, Nature yeah. Park. Nature Center. It was really there, close by. Yeah, that there, was it. Yeah, yeah. I had an Audubon Oriole there. I was pretty happy about that. Nice. We got our Audubons at, we sat down to have lunch at the picnic area at uh, Edinburgh and okay. it just came to the feeder while we were eating lunch. So we got a life bird while we were eating lunch. It was amazing. I, I had one there too. So it's, it, it is. That Edinburgh area is just, I mean, one thing about the whole World Birding Center, and that kind of cracks me up, the World Birding Center of Texas. Uh, anyway, only in Texas would they name themselves yeah. the World Birding Center. But the, those places are, they're, you know, most wildlife refuges are really laid out for the wildlife and birders or access is a secondary concern. But those places are great for wildlife, but they're really set up for birders. Uh, and so you get terrific access to terrific habitat. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. One thing I really enjoyed about our trip was, you know, there are all these, these feeder stations and I think we made a habit of every, every time we, we got, we had lunch, we were sitting in front of feeders. We, uh, we hit the, um, 
the H-E-B grocery store and sort of stacked up on food for the week there. And uh, uh, so every time we had lunch, we were sitting in front of feeders and watching Green Jays and um, Altamir Orioles and, and you know, all the birds coming in. And uh, some of the most enjoyable lunches I've had in a long time. I have to say you're right. I have to say you're right. I had some cold lunches doing that, but uh, the weather there was pretty cold at times. I was kind of surprised. But anyway, yes. Did you go to Salonino? Did you get out west? Yeah. I no, we did not. No. Um, we didn't quite have enough days for that. Yeah, it, it, if you only have four days, it wasn't worth all the driving. But boy, the feeders there! Oh my goodness, there! I mean, they are like take the other feeders and multiply them by three. They are just—it's incredible. Mm. The, Maybe we'll have to go back. Yeah, it's a good place. Could to go happen. Back to. Yeah. Well, tell me you guys' birding story. It sounds like you uh, don't live in the same locality, at least now, uh, but yet you've been birding together as birding buddies for some period of time. Tell me about that. Um, Actually, Corey and I have never lived in the same city, which is pretty amazing. Oh, I didn't (laughs) know that. uh, Okay. No, we have never lived in the same city. And this is a story I tell to young people all the time. We mostly became friends through writing letters to each other, like handwritten letters. But uh, we met, uh, we crossed paths at Boston University in 1999 um, when I uh, I lived next door to a friend of Sarah's in my dorm. And I was wanting to go on this bird walk um, that the Brookline Bird Club was having in the Boston Public Garden. And I was a little bit intimidated because I was this college girl and I just pictured them being like these really old men who were very serious about birding. And um, they they were. But they were they were really nice, and uh, I shouldn't have been worried. But I was a little bit intimidated, so I didn't really know Corey. But my my friend next door said, "Oh, you should ask Corey to go." And so I asked her, and she went. Yeah, I was like, "Oh yeah, why not?" Um, you know, my um my I wouldn't necessarily say my parents were were birders, but they were certainly into the outdoors. Um, you know, my dad would always taking take us hikes on hikes when I was a kid, um, and was always pointing out like red tailed hawks and turkey vultures along the side of the road. Um, my mom had bird feeders in the backyard and, you know, was always keeping an eye on them. And when a hawk would, would land in the backyard, sort of taken out a morning dove, she'd be like, oh, my God, there's a hawk. There's a hawk. Um, and had gone on a few bird walks with her, more so because it was my mom asking me to go on a bird walk versus me really having an interest in birding at that time. But uh, when Lane said, yeah, you want to go on a bird walk? I was like, yeah, why not? Um, but that bird walk was, was kind of life-changing for the both of us because, mm-hmm. so you were, bo- you were both students at, at, uh, at the college at the time? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Got, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Corey was just on her way out though. She was graduating and I was just finishing up my first year there. Okay. So, so, um, so you went on the Brookline Birding Club is like, uh, you know, big time history there. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I can see how you could be intimidated, but you went and good for you. And I didn't need there? to be. I just want to clarify. I did not need to be intimidated. They were no. they were great. And this was a life-changing experience for both of us, like Corey said, because we discovered warblers on this trip. And so this was spring? We, yes. I think it was May. And because it was the end of the school year and uh, we saw a full breeding plumage male Blackburnian warbler. And that was just a life changing, you know, that was, I think I'd already been into birding, um, up before this time. Um, I'll back up and say my, how I got into birding was just like Corey said, you know, having parents that were really into nature. And I grew up in Florida and, you know, there's lots of alligators and, 
um, I don't know, just being nice weather, you get to spend a lot of time outdoors. And um, my mom had gotten me really into seashells when I was a kid. And when I look back on it, there's a lot of parallels between collecting seashells and having a field guide. I actually think I had the Peterson guide and I wanted to find every single seashell that was in the book. Um, So I think that might've been like a stepping stone. But for me, how I really got into birding was um, when I was a teenager in Florida, before I moved up to Boston, I started volunteering at a wildlife rehab center. And um, a couple of times I got put on the baby room duty, which was taking care of all the baby animals that were that were needing to be fed constantly. And in the springtime, that's mostly baby birds that, you know, people, they fall out of the nest and people find them in their yard and they bring them in. And so I spent a few turns on this in this baby room feeding all these baby birds. And then I started to wonder, like, what are these birds? Like, what kind of birds are these? So I got a field guide <laughs> and that <laughs> that was it. <laughs> So shortly after that, I got a pair of binoculars and then I started looking at birds in the wild. And then, and then I went up to to Boston to go to college and, you know, fast forward about a year. That was when I uh, stumbled across this bird walk and I met Corey. Very nice. So, so you met then, and then obviously not more than a a, probably a few weeks at the most of uh, knowing each other in college then. And, And how did things go from there? Like Lane said, I mean, we really, so I, I got a work permit to go work in Ireland for four months. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, I mean, at that time it was before cell phones, email was really just getting started. You know, there were internet cafes. Um, sure. so the best way to stay in touch with my friends was to write letters. And, um, it turned out Lane was a really good letter writer. Like I saw, I would send, I was like, Oh, I'll send Lane a letter. I'll talk about some birds. Maybe I'm seeing in Ireland. And, and she wrote back and then I wrote back and she wrote back. And um, I really would say over like the next year, we really got to know each other a lot better purely through like letter writing. And, um, you know, once I got back from Ireland, I'm sure we saw each other. I feel like we, Lane, I feel like we see each other every six months, maybe once a year on average. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's you know, accurate. Yeah. Either you're coming up to Boston or you're inviting uh, me down to Florida um, or we meet somewhere in the middle. But um it's kind of been a, a con, you know, we, you know, we never lived, I've never have lived in the same place as Lane since then. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, we have always just stayed in touch by letter running and, and, you know, kind of occasionally meeting up. And I think just that shared passion of, of bird watching that started, you know, sure. for us in that exact same place. Um, you know, it's really, every time we get together, it's like, let's go birding. Oh my God, we can go birding together. This is going to be so great. Um and, uh, and I think so if you look back at our old letters to each other, I think all of our letters are just about what birds we saw. <laughs> yeah, you can't now. You can stalk each other on eBird. You don't need to uh, <laughs> don't need to do that anymore. So <laughs> that is true. I I do I do like looking at what other people have seen on eBird and Corey as well. I think that when I first got on eBird, that's I thought it was going to be like Facebook or something, and I was kind of like, why can't I be friends with Corey on eBird and see what bird she saw? <laughs> You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. It, I think they're missing a real commercial opportunity there. Yeah, and that was even before we'll they had the happens. profiles where you could actually like see people's right. recent sightings and stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and so you've been uh, birding together intermittently uh, since then. Uh, so, uh, t- Corey, tell me your uh, your what you're doing now in terms of birding when you're not with Lane. 
Uh, well, I, I, I'm one of the very lucky people who gets to focus on birds for their job. So I, I do work for um, Audubon Connecticut, which is the state office of the National Audubon Society. Um, I'm the director of bird conservation. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I kind of do a lot of different things. But uh, one of my sort of biggest duties is sort of overseeing our, our coastal program, which, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it includes coastal stewardship. So uh, you know, um, you know, monitoring it and sort of stewarding piping plovers, oyster catchers, um, least turns, common turns. Um, but then we're also um, sort of starting to dive into coastal resilience. Um, salt marsh sparrow and other salt marsh nesting birds are f- facing some pretty big threats with climate change and sea level rise. And, uh, you know, it's sort of dire enough that if, if Audubon and other organizations um, don't actually act now, um, then, then we could lose, you know, salt marsh sparrow. We could lose that species um, and a number of other species, and and that's sort of also indicative of the sort of greater threat of, you know, our, you know, that our salt marshes as a habitat are facing. Um, you know, if if we sort of lose some of these bird species, then it also tells us our salt marshes are are really going to be suffering, and they're also, you know, highly really important for, um, you know. Uh, both recreational and commercial fisheries. There's lots of uh, baby fish that sort of grow up in the salt marshes. Um, they're sure. areas that can sort of absorb floodwaters, um, protect coastal communities from storms. Uh, they sequester carbon. So it's a really important habitat type. So uh, that's kind of a new realm that uh, we're diving into. Um, so those are kind yeah, of that's for sure. some of the areas that I, I'm working on at the moment. Um, so definitely get to get outside and, and do some birding as part of my own, as part so, of my work. So you definitely get uh, birding almost uh, incidentally in, in addition to intentionally. Yes. Uh, very cool. So Lane, how about you? Um, well, it's kind of interesting because when Corey and I met on this um, bird walk, Corey already had a, I think she was just finishing up her biology degree. And so she already right. had like an academic background in science, which I did not. I was already well on the path to being a political science major. So, and I was never really scientifically inclined in school anyway. So I was always more of like English history, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I kind of went more of the citizen science route and I just tried to stay involved in um, bird activities. Like I volunteered for many years. Uh, when I moved back to Florida, I, I uh, volunteered for many years at a local bird banding station and I do surveys and, and that kind of stuff. But my... Um, full-time career um, or my actual career has been all over the place. I've worked in government for a long time. And then now I'm working in nonprofit as a fundraiser for a uh, a small art museum in um, Winter Park, Florida, which is near Orlando. Um, But we also have a sculpture garden where I work and um, it is actually not a terrible place to bird. So I actually do a lot of incidental birding at my workplace as well. Yeah, museums, especially with outdoor grounds, especially if they're in an urban area, can be a little green oasis in the middle of uh, middle of not such great habitat. Can really draw things in. Yeah, um, we're actually my where I work is very close to quite a migrant hotspot. Um, I work pretty close to Mead Garden, uh, which uh, Central Florida birders know that place as a, as a great fall migrant place. And unfortunately, where I work, it's a little too manicured. Um, but we do get really great birds. Um, one day I was at a, a meeting, um, in my office and it was nice weather and we had the windows open and I heard something and I went, that's different. And <laughs> I think my coworkers are used to me, um, having these, yeah. uh, obsessions about birds. And I just heard this. I was like, that's different. And, uh, turns out it was an indigo bunting that was 
Very just nice. right outside our window. Um, so yeah, that, that Very nice. It, it's, it's nice to work in a, in an environment like that. It is. It's nice to be retired too. <laughs> something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I've, I have to say I, I work for, I'm a family doctor. I worked for years and years and, and had two kids and a family and two, a wife. And it was, you know, you do what you can, but there's just, there are limits to how much you can bird and still, keep some semblance of balance in your life. But uh, my wife died and I'm retired and I have little holding me back right now. It's, uh, I'm, I'm out a lot. Well, we have to, you know, I think Corey and I talk about that a lot, like our struggles to um, fit burning into our lives, um, not being retired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, although I get to work on bird conservation, you know, every day, a lot of that is being on conference calls um, or sending emails um, you know, it definitely has some moments where I get to sort of be out in the field and, and can kind of enjoy birding. But, um, you know, there's a lot of sort of just coordination and communication that's part of my job. So just getting to sort of bird for pleasure um, can, can be hard to come by sometimes. But um, I think uh, Lane and I have come up with some some great coping mechanisms <laughs> for, for squeezing birding okay. into our lives. <laughs> so give our give our listeners some clues, some tips about that. Sure. So, um, you know, one thing that I found is, is that, you know, um, I used to, I, I moved fairly recently, but my, my old neighborhood was just sort of a suburban neighborhood. And, and sometimes I'd be like, okay, I want to go for a bird walk, but I also want to get some exercise. And I only have 30 minutes before I go to work. And I realized that getting in my car and driving somewhere, I would lose time. So I actually just started walking around my neighborhood. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I'd get some exercise because it was a hilly neighborhood, but I'd also bring my binoculars and my phone and I'd be e-birding as I walked. And um, I think I had, a, you know, over a hundred different bird species that I found in my suburban neighborhood, um, you know, and it, especially during migration, you know, you, you kind of just never knew what you would find. There would be, there was like one little pond and some woods around it, and it could just be full of warblers and orioles, and, you know, and thrushes, you know, if you pick the right day. Um and it was sort of a, a, a little bit, it was a little bit of an insight into sort of just how important little pockets of habitat can be, like you were saying, Ed, um, you know, for birds when, during migration. For sure. It sounds like, uh, you know, birding your local patch uh, regularly is how I would summarize what you just said. So uh, having a local patch near where you live, either a yard list or a patch list and, and not, not letting that uh, rest is a good, good, good part of that. Cool. Any other suggestions, uh, Lane? Um, yeah, I'd say patch birding. Um, I was having a really hard time uh, with birding a few years ago, just find t- finding time for it. And like, I felt like I'd seen all the life birds there were to see uh, in a distance that I could reasonably drive on a weekend. So I felt kind of like stuck. So I started to try to bird. Um, I guess I had a, I had a patch. Uh, my actually, I live across the street from a lake in Orlando and we have a little, just a little tiny dock on a little tiny little strip of land that's for the neighbors. And so I just decided I was going to bird there like just once a week for an entire year, just like 20 minutes. Um, and I, I got about almost 90 species during the course of the year, not really even birding hard or obsessively, just like, you know, making sure I went out there once a week, even if it wasn't a good time of day. Yeah. Um, that's something that I had to really get get past. Uh, you know, I used to think like, oh, if I don't get up at like sunrise and get out there, like it's not worth going birding. And for a long time, I just didn't go birding. Uh, you know, I get busy with work and think, oh, like I just, oh, I want to sleep in, you know, I, um, 
you know, and then I, I think I just really had to like, I had this revelation one day, like, oh, I don't have to get up first thing in the morning to go birding. Like you can still see birds at 4 p.m., you know, just because it's, you know, not optimal doesn't mean you're not going to see anything. So I had to really learn how to love birding at 4 p.m. <laughs> or um, at 5.30 when I get home from work. Um, and love yourself, you know, that's loving yeah. yourself too. That's uh, just a positive self. Yeah. So I, I find, you know, I actually really enjoy patch birding. Um, you know, even though I got stuck for a while and was like, oh, I'm, I'm out of life birds. What is there left to do? And so I got really into patch birding and I, bir I bird started birding for a, a year or two. I birded um, every day when I, I checked the mail at work. We have a mailbox that's like on the other side of the property. Okay. So it's a nice walk for me to get from my office. And I, I get to walk across the sculpture gardens to go to the mailbox. And yeah. I would eBird, uh, you know, that. And I think same thing. I got about right like back. 80 species. Um, and, uh, you know, so I guess my my takeaway that I've learned over, over time is like, you don't have to go birding like at a good time or even be in a good place. You just need to do it. And that's actually something nice. I, I work on now. Like I try to avoid hotspots now, um, or eBird hotspots. I, um, I really enjoy trying mm -hmm. to find places that are, um, that are not on the, on the eBird hotspot radar. I have a, uh, an acquaintance, uh, here who extensively looks at Google maps, looking for habitat that's under. Oh, we, we so just he'll, did that. He'll look on, he'll look on, he, he gets on Google Maps and I'll say, "There's a, there's some habitat over there, and I don't see any eBird less. I'm gonna go eBird that." And he and he just it's pretty cool. Yeah, idea. that really appeals to me, like finding like new discoveries. And then a couple years ago, I was um, up in uh, Massachusetts, and Corey was with me, and I said, "You know, I really want to get some more species on my Massachusetts list." And I'd been studying the eBird hotspots, and I said to Corey, "Like, here's my mm -hmm. species I want, and here's here's where I think we should go." And she was like well, let's look at Google Maps and see what the habitat was. And I was just totally amazed at her ability to look at the Google Map and be like, no, 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 we need to go here. <laughs> well, she had yeah. a, Lane had a bunch of grassland or shrubland nesting birds on her, her, her needs list. And, um, right. you know, in the places on eBird sort of hotspots where people had seen them was when they were migration and they were just sort of passing through. So I'm like, no, no, we have to, sure. we have to target the shrubland bird habitat if we want to see the shrubland birds. So, um, you know, we kind of, we're able to find some places and I think we definitely checked a few off of your I list, think right? we got every bird that I was looking for that day and I thought like oh my gosh Corey is magical she figured that out <laughs> yeah. she's a biologist yeah. she knows about habitat <laughs> yeah that's no, where that, that's yeah. that's where my birding falls short sometimes yeah, we all have our strengths. We all have our strengths. So I'm going to get back a little bit to, to your birding story together. It sounds like uh, you went to Bon Portage Island in Nova Scotia in 2004. You mentioned that when, when you sent me a note. Tell me about that experience. How'd that come about? And, and tell me about it. So um, how it came about was, um, so there, there was, you know, we kind of talked about how we, how we kind of uh, had our blackbirdy and warbler sighting together that kind of got us really excited about birds. And then um, I had uh, the opportunity to go out to the Farallon Islands off the coast of California to do um, some mm -hmm. great white shark research, but they also had bird banding there. And we had to kind of keep track of all the birds that we saw every day when we were on the island. And, and for me, when I came off that island, I was officially a birder. I was so obsessed with birds at that point. And um, so I uh, went to uh, um uh, Belize after that, um, to help do some, uh, volunteer harpy eagle hacking. 
And uh, while I was down there, I um, met somebody from the Atlantic Bird Observatory in Nova Scotia, and they said, oh, if you ever want to come up and work at our banding station in Nova Scotia, you know, we would love to have you. And and so sure enough, a year later, <laughs> I reached out to Lane and said, hey, do you want to go to Bond Portage Island and do some bird banding? And uh, Lane was able to get the time off of work, and uh, we reached out to them, and they were like, yeah, absolutely, come on up. And so we um, went up to Bond Portage Island, and I think we were up there for a month and a half, maybe? Is that right? Yeah, I think it was, uh, our whole trip was like two months, and I think we were traveling for the last two weeks. And so, yeah, I think it was like six weeks. Very cool. And you were there in the fall for the fall migration? Spring. Or spring. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I Before that I got on, I, I, you know, looked at that, and it sounds like it's a really a lot of fall vagrants show up there, but I'm sure it's a great birding uh, breeding place too. And it has all the leeches, stone petrels there, and I'm sure other birds. Yeah, that was, it was, it was a neat place. So, I mean, uh, one part of it was that we were both learning to bird by ear sort of, um, you know, as we were going to Bond Portage and then, you know, we had to do sort of daily censuses there. And so that really helped us oh. hone our, our birding by ear skills. Um, kind of and, breeding bird survey sort of thing. Yeah, it was kind of you would sort of walk um, sort of a section. There was like a, a it was, maybe it was like, a, I don't know if it was an official breeding bird survey, but it was, there was a survey route and you walked it and you had to record, you know, everyone, we sort of took turns doing it and recording what birds we uh, sort of saw or hear. And, and it was because mm-hmm. we were just beginning to bird by ear, you know, one day we'd be like, oh, I heard this, I heard this, I heard this, these species. And then the next day it would be completely different. And you'd be like, oh my God, what are these birds now? You'd have to try to sort of start all over again and like, okay, now I've got a new bird song I have to learn because last yesterday's birds left and moved on and the new birds moved in mm-hmm. and I got to learn new bird songs. And, um, but it, yeah. I think it really helped us both hone our, our birding by ear skills. Um, and it was just such a neat place. Like, you know, is this little island, you know, I think there were maybe at the high point, maybe six or seven of us living there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we were all kind of in a cabin together and, uh, uh, you know, you didn't see the leeches, storm petrels during the day, but it would be in the middle of the night when you were stumbling to the outhouse, they would be all over the place. And, um, yeah. it was, you know, they're very clumsy on land. So, you know, they would kind of just try to get out of your way and, and, uh, just to see, it was really neat to sort of see them up so close. Yeah. For listeners that don't know, leeches, stone petrels are uh, a tube nose, a small bird that live at sea and they breed on land. Usually, I think they breed in tunnels or in cracks and rocks, places like that. And they go to sea all day and then they come back after dark when predators can't see them and feed their young and tend to their nest and disappear before daylight. So you never see them in their breeding area during the day, but at night, you know, obviously they're there. Yeah, it was quite a hazard when you would stumble out to, uh, like Corey said, go to the outhouse because we had no uh, electricity or running water on this island. It was uh, pretty primitive. Mm -hmm. And um, you'd stumble out and you'd be wearing a headlamp, or at least I would. I could never make it without going to the outhouse overnight. And uh, yeah, these birds would just be, they'd be attracted to to your headlamp and they'd be like flying at your head. And so I just thought this is the craziest (laughs) experience. Um, You know, that's crazy things that, that bird that being into birds takes you to do. Yeah. So you've been on several birding trips together uh, over the last 15 years or so. Uh, uh, Florida, obviously, that's where you live, isn't it, Lane? So Corey probably came down and birded there with you. Have you had any big uh, extended periods birding together in Florida? Yeah. So um, I I kind of, I don't know quite when I started this, but it might have been just like, I'm going to go visit Lane. And uh, so I started basically every other year, um, going down to Florida. Um, and, um, 
you know, I think, I think I've maybe done that twice. I mean, so this is a fairly new, new habit, but, um, you know, the, you know, so two years ago I was down visiting lane and we birded and two years before that we did the same thing. Um, so that was, you know, I've definitely gotten to do some birding in, uh, Florida with lane. And then like she mentioned, she comes up to, to Connecticut sometime or we'll, she's going to go to be in the Boston area. I'll go up and we'll go birding around Boston. Um, sure. And, uh, my uh, parents live in Maryland. And so at one point they offered, you know, they said, Oh, why don't you come down? You can stay at our place and, and go birding. So that was a great chance to, uh, get to, um, you know, some places in the sort of Del Mar peninsula. So, um, you know, Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge in Maryland, and then um, Bombay Hook in Delaware, which were just some incredible places to bird. I think we did that in the fall, probably like 10 years ago. Um, but we were just, we had some, I think, did we have, a, I don't think we had a hundred bird day, but we had like a 75, 80 bird day. Yeah. Just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And snow geese flying over. And it was, it was just, it was good. I know that I have 70 species you. in Delaware and I think we only, I only have two lists for Delaware that were at Bombay, Bombay hook. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great place. I got my life, a seaside sparrow there. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. When, when my children were in the third and fourth grade, uh, I, I had just uh, brought on a partner and we kind of job shared for a couple of years when my kids were young and my wife was working hard so I could spend more time with the kids. And part of the agreement when she came on the first summer of our job share, she was going to work full time for a month and I would go away for a month and then I'd work full time. So I took like Kay and the kids and we flew to Washington, D.C. and we headed south a little bit. And we just worked our way up the coast doing the museums. It was a, a history tour, but it was also a birding tour. Uh, so we stopped at every hot birding spot on the East Coast between, uh, uh, you know, just south of DC and Maine. So it was very nice. And Bombay Hook was certainly one of them. So I, I have a little bit of experience in those places. And that kind of birding, when you're adding it onto a family trip, can also be very cool. Yeah, I think Corey and I both struggle a little bit because we have non-birding spouses. <laughs> and so we're always trying to uh, work birding into our vacations with our husbands. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Do, do you have children? I have a, I have a stepson who's uh, 22 at this point. Oh, okay, so he's he's fledged. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> so but he, but you know he he comes home on Thursday nights for dinner though, and it's are always really glad. Yeah, to see that, him, that's so. always good. Yeah. yeah, always good. But um, yeah. so yeah, I know sometimes sort of uh, you know, just to sort of get birding worked into a, a family trip, you know, I'll be like, okay, come on, we got to have one day of birding, or you know, or sometimes I'll, I'll get up early in the morning before anybody else gets up and go bird watching and. Um, that, you know, that's often the story I hear. Yeah. Once I, um, from, from six to eight is a burning time and then you get together for breakfast. Yeah. And... Yeah. Once I, I went to go visit my brother who lives in California. Um, and, uh, you know, my sister flew out with me and so it was the three of us and I really wanted to do some birding. So I, I, I came up with a whole sort of method. I kind of basically bribed them, but, um, I sort of said for every bird species that we see, you get a point. And if it's a, a bird I've never seen in California before, you get two points. And if it's a life bird, you get three points. And, and you know, they, they could kind of help me they rack up points. And, you know, if they got a certain number of points, well, then I would pay for pedicures, you know. And so oh, um, okay. they did really good. I ended up paying for pedicures and taking them to Their the movie. Their toes looked great when they came home. Yes, <laughs> yeah, okay, yep. Good. And uh, I took them to a spa, too. They racked, They totally racked up the points. But I got this anom- amazing day of birding um, out of it. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. At this stage in your birding career, those are probably fairly cheap life birds. You know, you can pay more to go see a life bird. Than that. Yeah, this is true. And I have a, I have a little system with my husband. We really like to go to, go to breweries. Oh, okay. And so when we travel and we really oh, like yes. to travel too, we've been trying to go to all 50 states and uh, we've gone to some good ones. We, I went made my first trip to California last year and the year before that we went to Hawaii. Um, so I've been trying, I've been trying to fill in my eBird map with this at the same time I'm taking these trips with my husband, but we love to find, um, breweries to go to. So I often will look for, I call it birding and beering and I've, I'll find mm-hmm. a birding hotspot that's near a brewery. And so we can combine the two things. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if I get my time to go birding, then we can go have a beer afterwards. <laughs> and I usually write in my eBird Sounds notes, like um, what brewery I went to, like, before or after making the checklist. Um, and we had a Great. good one. We had a, Great. I got my lifer smooth build Ani. It came through uh, Orlando. Um, I think it was two years ago. It was a rarity that popped up here mm-hmm. and it was way on the other side of town, kind of out near the tourist area. So the, I found a brewery mm-hmm. near, near, near where the Ani was supposed to be that my husband was interested in going to. So um, he came out with me and it was one of those really cool life birds where you drive to the place where people said they saw it. And within a, a minute or two, it pops out and, you know, makes a yes. really nice show. And we both saw it. And then we're like, okay, let's go to the brewery now. <laughs> so you went for a smooth, build yes, beer. a smooth build beer. Very nice. Good, good. Well, you know, we all have our tricks of ways to uh, make peace with our <laughs> obsession uh, and still get along with our family. So that's, uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, so what's next? Do you guys have your next uh, trip in mind? I think we're looking for ideas. So if you've got some suggestions, well, I'm have, sure we'd be glad to, to the, hear them. Have you been? I mean, Alaska is the mm. obvious one you guys. But mm. ha, ha, have you been to the Pacific Northwest? Uh, you know, I, I kind of drove through it at one point, but I think it was pro- it was a uh, earlier before I was um, – very conscious of bird watching. So and same thing with Alaska. I worked at a Girl Scout camp in Alaska for two summers, but it was before I was into birding. So, um, you know, it, it was kind of like, a, it, you look back at, you're like, oh, I could have done all this birding and I wasn't there yet. <laughs> That's a- well, I would say make it make, I would say make a two-week trip. Stop stop here in the Seattle area. I'll show you around for two or three days, and we'll get you definitely get you some life birds if you haven't birded up here, and then fly to uh, Anchorage and bird around there and go to Nome and bird around there and go home. Hmm. <laughs> Very tempting. Think, got to think big. You got to think big. You can't think. Small. I have a similar Seattle experience. I, uh, I visited in 2002, right at the beginning of my time as a birder. And I was just there for a quick weekend visiting a friend. And I think I made note of like one or two birds that I saw during the time. So my Washington mm-hmm. state list is like mm-hmm. two birds. <laughs> And I look back on that and I'm like, oh no, I could have, I could have, but who knew? eBird wasn't a thing. We do a, we, we do a county big day here in May, usually around the 10th of May. And we pretty easily, and just in Pierce County where I live, get 120 Wow. Species. So, you know, a, a, a good day of birding here in the spring, 100 species is not difficult. Uh, uh, and, you know, that would include some things that are hard to get some other places. You know, you'd get a Cassin's Vireo, you'd get a, a Chestnut-backed Chickadee. You'd, I mean, just a few things that are a little hard to get some other places. A Dipper, I don't, I don't you know, I don't know what you're missing, what you're not missing on your life list. But 
this is a, a good spot. Yeah, I think at the end of our trip, the last night at the in the Rio Grande Valley, Corey and I pulled up our eBirds and we were comparing life birds that we needed. And we did not have a lot of overlap. Right. So we were like really confused about where to go next. So um, yeah, because Corey's been to a lot of places I haven't and vice versa. So our, 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 sure. our needs yeah. list is like, um, you know, not really lining up. So we're not sure. And we, we usually get together in February because that's when both of our job schedules allow us we got to work around work around our Mm -hmm. jobs for now um and february seems like the time for for both of us that it works out yeah you know at some point i definitely would like to get down to to um to ecuador and um the the galapagos so um i think that might be in the in the running at some point maybe not necessarily two years from now but maybe maybe four or six years from now so maybe a trip to save up for a little bit International birding is super fun, but you know, just staying in your own country can can be fun too. So, either way, it sounds like you guys have a great birding relationship. It's fun to hear your story, uh, and you've got some great birds left to get, I'm sure, and have had some great stories to tell. I appreciate you being on the podcast. It was really nice. I a couple of questions. Uh, Corey, you probably know Nick Bonono. I do. Yes. Yeah, Nick is, uh, he was a guest though, a few months ago on the podcast and uh, just a super fun guy. I kind of follow his eBird list a little bit. Sounds like he is just really good. Yeah, he's definitely one of the the top birders in Connecticut, um, you know, and uh, definitely a great, you know, major, someone has got a ton of expertise. So if you've, you know, if you've had some sighting that you um, and we like, oh my God, could I, could I really have seen this or what, you know, you, you want some input. Uh, Nick is a great guy to reach out to. So um, yeah, you know, we're very fortunate to have him here in Connecticut. Yeah. I have Ryan Merrill lined up for a, for an episode here soon. And Ryan went to, I, I'm not sure exactly. I'll hear the story, but he spent some time in Boston anyway. Uh, and it sounds like he and Nick were, uh, buddies, birding buddies when they were, you know, New England is so small. Uh, Boston is almost Connecticut. I mean, there's West coast, uh, distances are nothing. Uh, or a lot more than East Coast distances, it seems like. So uh, I'm interested to hear about their relationship too. So that should be fun. Anyway, great to have you both on the episode. It was really fun. Uh, thanks for coming on with me. And it was cool that you heard about me from the podcast. I thought that was kind of a pretty interesting uh, kind of. Yeah, the internet thing. is an amazing place. Uh, I love going so down internet rabbit holes. <laughs> um, yeah, you never know what yeah, you'll find. Fun. Do either of you have any things you want to make sure you talk about, uh, you know, uh, causes you want to mention or things? You yeah, want to I, I left out one thing that was really uh, like a full circle part of my birding story. I mentioned um, back in the beginning that like one of the key things that got me interested in birding was my experience volunteering at a, at a wildlife rehab center. And just recently I've reconnected with them and I've, I've uh, become a board member at their organization um, and it's called Back to Nature Wildlife okay. Refuge. It's in Orlando, and um, it's an amazing organization that um, that uh, rehabilitates injured and orphaned wild animals in Central Florida, and um, tries to release as many as they can. Their goal is to get everything back in the wild, and they definitely help a lot of they help all kinds of animals, but a lot of songbirds, um, birds of prey. Um, so yeah, they're they're a really great organization. I just wanted to to plug them and say it's really neat that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's crazy how the paths in life take you. That you know, you recon, um, that I ended up reconnecting with them, and they were such a big part of my birding story. And I'm just so excited to be um, involved in wildlife rehab um, on on this side of it. And you know, again, from like a you know, not being a biologist like Corey, like being able to 
be involved in other ways that I can. Very cool. Uh, send me uh, their Facebook and website pages, whatever. I'll make sure I put those in the podcast notes. Sure. So anyone who's uh, interested in finding out about them can. Uh, how about you, Corey? Anything you want to give a shout out to or... Oh, you know, I think I'm just going to make a, a plug for sort of, um, you know, uh, microhabitats and, uh, you know, uh, p- you know, people sort of, you know, taking, um, you know, the initiative to sort of plant native plants in their yards, um, you know, remove invasive plants. Um, you know, when we were in Texas, you know, one thing that was kind of really obvious was that, you know, so much of the landscape was was either developed or in farmland. So that meant that there, you know, the birds were really concentrated in some of these places that we visited. Um Sure. You know, and, uh, you know, in that area, particularly, I mean, think about just how many migrants pass through, you know, so the, the lower Rio Grande area, um, you know, so, uh, you know, people who live in that area or people who live in other places across the country, like, you know, can can really help birds out by, you know, just planting plants, you know, you know native plants that, you know, produce berries that are host plants for, for caterpillars, um, you know, that produce a lot of seed. Uh, you know, it really, you can really um, sort of improve ab- habitat, you know, in the, the local, you know, in your, in your yard, in your community. Um, and that, that is really important uh, during migration. So, um, you know, definitely uh, was something that, um, you know, our trip to Texas kind of opened my eyes to just a little bit more that, you know, here in Connecticut, we're, we're 60% forested. So, you know, there's, there's a decent amount of habitat, but in, in places like Texas, where there's just, a, you know, a lot of farmland or a lot of development and there just isn't much sort of natural habitat um you know people can really play an important role great great point and and habitat doesn't necessarily mean bird seeds or fruit i mean it can be cover it can be you know uh nesting sites can be all sorts of different things. And also, you mentioned microhabitats, just the loss of wetlands throughout the Americas is just startling. If you look, I mean, most of the East Coast and most of the West Coast and much of the Central Flyway were marshlands at one point, and they've been drained and filled in and created into agricultural lands and parking lots and everything else. So uh, those sorts of things are important. So, uh, you know, lobby for environmentalists, uh, vote right, do all the things you need to do. Good. Well, thank you both for being on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I will uh, make sure I I, uh, reach out to you guys if I'm in your areas. You do the same, please. We'll do. And yeah, thank you so much. Your, Your podcast totally helped us out on our trip. It was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, both of you. Thanks, Adam. Have a good day. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 51, with Lane Epps and Corey Folsom O'Keefe. I had a nice time talking with them today, and what a trip down memory lane. Uh, Some of the places they've birded and they've gone were places that I went in different stages of my life at different times, Uh, and it was so fun to hear about their birding relationship. It so parallels some some birding relationships I've had over the years, Uh, and I think that's really fun to hear. Uh, I think that that is where birding is going. Uh, Birding, if you listen to several of the podcasts, I listened to a podcast on the ABA birding podcast recently, uh, and uh, some of the leaders in the ABA feel that the next big uh, move in birding is not so much listing or defining species, but really making opportunities for people to bring new birders into the birding, develop relationships with birders and birding, and the, and the community of birders as well as the community of birds. So I'm excited to have had them on as guests today. I think that opens that topic uh, and was really fun. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, be sure to read the podcast notes where I'll make sure I put uh, 
comments to some of the causes and things that Corrine Lane talked about today. And also check out the birdbanner.com website where I'll have a blog post that goes into even more detail. So thanks again for listening. Until next time, good birding, good day.